Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. We got audio, we got visual. All right. So we'll wait for people to start filtering in. And then we'll get going. Guys, I just turned 40 on Friday. And I celebrated it by going to see SmackDown. I went to go see wrestling in Madison Square Garden. Woo! That was awesome. It was a really good show, too. All right. I'm excited for today's talk. I think it will be interesting and something that isn't done a lot. And so, uh, oh, I thank you. Thank you. Yeah, SmackDown was a lot of fun. Being, I've never been to a WWE event. Um, it's, it was, it, it was just great. It was awesome. Like the, the energy of the crowd I was trying to describe to people. And I was saying how, um, you know, if you go to see a rock concert and the musicians and the band come on stage, there's a lot of applause and everyone's going nuts, but it kind of like ramps up to it. You know, some people see it and then people catch on and everyone, and then it gets to a roar. But with wrestling that it goes like once a wrestler emerges from the sound cue, it just goes zero to like 500, just like crazy um, in an instant. And the whole crowd does it at once. And it's, it's unlike anything. It, it's, it was awesome. I loved it. There's some, uh, and then I didn't think that some of my favorites were even going to be there. And then they turned out to be the dark matches after it recorded. So we got two really great matches after that. So it was, uh, and they were my favorite people. So I was, I went nuts. It was crazy. It was fun. And now we're watch. Uh, me and my wife are watching the episode of SmackDown that we were at, and we're trying to see if we could see ourselves. We weren't that far back. We were like you could see the sections we were in in the camera, but they usually like pan quickly because we're not like front row. So we're trying to like pause it and <laughs> see if we could see ourselves. But it was a lot of fun. The crowd was really nice and good, and yeah, good times. Excited. We're going to be talking about the Bible today. My favorite topic in all of the world. <laughs> uh, it's like the Bible right now, then wrestling, and then like movies and video games to talk about. Oh, writing. The Bible, writing, wrestling. Those are my favorite topics in the world. So I'm excited. We'll we'll get going as it's turning five minutes after. Um, so Jay has the we're giving Jay the week off. Uh, the timing worked out, um, pretty good for that because I woke up this morning to a text from Jay, letting me know that um that Steve Peters passed away. You know, uh, just a tremendously great human being and uh man i really really cared for that guy he um he's a walking miracle and it's just um you know he he 
he got sick again and it's just, um, yeah, it was just too much, but you know, we don't often get a chance to meet and interact with somebody that has like changed like the fabric of society and made like such a huge impact. Um, and like, so when you think about it, you know, there's, I know um, Jay's mom is the center point of the movie uh, and the Elton John musical, but just as equal to her story is Steve and what he was able to do um, for the LGBTQ community and the Christian community in that interview and just who he was uh, as a person. And uh, yeah, he, he was just such a great, uh, great guy. And um, you know, me and him through revolution, we bonded a lot because you know, everyone um, growing up, I was like one of those kids that everyone referred to as an old soul. And um, a lot of that was, I like a lot of old movies. And so me and Steve would bond over my love of, of musicals, like uh, Singing in the Rain, Jesus Christ Superstar, Godspell, um, The Music Man. And... Um, he was just amazing. And so um, one of the, my happiest memories of him was we we're going back and forth about uh, on, I think it was on one of the, my talks and we we're talking like about musicals. And he, he said, because of my love of musicals and my knowledge of them, that he was making me an honorary gay man. And that was like the biggest compliment that I could get from him. So that was, it just, um, I'll, I'll always remember that. Um, yeah, he's helped so many people. And so, Hey, right. Um, we're talking Steve Peters passed away. Um, is in the middle of the night, my time, uh, it was late in the evening on the West coast. So, uh, we're just reminiscing a little bit about him and his, uh, his impact. And it's just, um, yeah, but we're, you know, we're all just very lucky to, get to know him because he's such a pivotal, like he's one of those people that his legacy will far surpass all of us. Like, you know, he passed away and his legacy will keep going. And then the impact that he's made us talking about it now, like when we pass away, his legacy will still go on. And that's like an incredible thing. Not everybody has that. Um, so you know, it, it's, it, it sucks. It sucks a lot to lose somebody, um, so great. And someone that you care about, there's no, there's no like way to spin it that it doesn't just like suck. It's just like the worst, but, um, there is some peace, um, in knowing that there's no more pain and sickness and that, uh, he lived a life that is, it's a legacy. There's literally, like movies and plays and books about, about his life. And that's, um, that's really incredible. And so we were all very lucky. And so I just wanted to share that. I'm sure Jay will go into it, um, more, uh, next time he speaks. Uh, I was scheduled to speak anyways, but it really did work out. Cause I can't imagine Jay is in very good shape today. We talked a little bit, um, and, 
but mostly just, you know, um, about how to approach today because we didn't know if it was our place to, to mention it. Um, but I guess he, Jay must've talked to the family and, um, they said that we, we could share it. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it, it definitely will, you know, puts a damper on, on the day and it will definitely, um, put a damper on, on the talk, but as, as cheesy as it sounds, it's just like, um, especially talking about the Bible and talking, you know, for revolution that, um, you know, Steve loved revolution so much. He loved the Bible. Like, so, um, I really hope that we, we knock it out of the park, uh, for him and we do him proud today with it. So uh, it sucks guys. But, um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the announcement that, uh, I need to make. And so I'm just going to take a sip of water because it's not like I could just change gears and then all of a sudden I'm gonna be like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we'll have to kind of get our feet back because, uh, yeah, this is brand new information for, for all of us. So, um, it, it just sucks. So, um, um, please, you know, as, as the talk goes on, there will be some laughing and joking, and I hope that it's not seen in any way disrespectful, you know, um, because I just want the today's talk and the service to go on as it normally would. Um, you know, I'm not much for speaking on other people's behalf, but I can't imagine knowing who Steve was that he would want all doom and gloom. You know, I think when he gave a talk uh, for revolution, I think he was even singing in it and, and everything. And so it was, um, so I think we're going to try to, to keep, keep on in, in that vein um, today. So I just want to get that out. Cause I didn't want it to seem distasteful that, you know, my, my talk has some, some jokes in it and stuff. Cause uh, as you can tell, I'm not the feeling so great about that, um, about this news right now. So, but uh, all right. And the other thing I wanted to address, uh, I don't know if it, it anybody watching right now um, or even listening, if it affects them. But I just want to clarify something. There was a little bit of a a back and forth that I don't think ever got really out of hand, but on um, one of Revolution's posts about the talk last week, um, mainly because um, I do the I do the write ups and the titles for the talks, even when Jay gives them, and I like to listen to the talk and I find, excuse me, I find a quote that Jay says that I think encompasses talk but is also an engaging title and so i did the title for last week the wtfj and uh some people definitely got um got offended by it and i just want to say that the the one thing i i want to say is that jay has no part of that jay finds out what the titles are when you guys find out what the titles are um in, in the past, I have chosen a photo that uh, he did not really approve of, and I've changed that. Um, so he it's not he, he's not completely hands off, but 
it is just as much of a surprise to him as to everybody. And I do also try to find titles that are a bit provocative, but not in the way to offend or hurt somebody, but that I hope would encourage somebody to be like, does that mean what I think it is? Or, you know, or something like that, but it's never meant to troll or, or anything like that. Uh, and I'm sure with people tuning in now and, and listening, that probably didn't need to be said, but I felt guilty because Jay was kind of on the front line of receiving all these um, comments about it. And that was, that was me. It was all me. Um, and uh, I have to say candidly, if knowing that people still try to find a way to blame Jay to stop and think why you're trying to keep your anger directed towards him. Um, so it's, it's, I know it sounds silly because it's just titles of a talk, um, but really there's no, there's no um, agenda with them. They're not meant to offend. They're not meant to do anything. It's just, oh, that, that would make a good title and kind of is the feel for it. So that's where that comes from. And so that was the, um, the those are, that wraps up the announcements for today. <laughs> and so we'll get into the talk. So, um, today we're going to be talking about the Bible, um, but in a little bit of a different capacity, you know, I mentioned in my last talk, we did a study on the Bible's journey into English and then from being written in English to how it got to America. And then Jay has been touching a little bit on, um, the makeup of the Bible and some of the books. The last talk was a lot about um, revelation and, and it's view in the Bible and, and standing and stuff. And so I'm, I'm going to dive a little bit more into other aspects of the Bible that, um, that it turns out are not as common knowledge as I thought they were. And I'll get into that, um, a little bit, but I'll just say that I did. So I have studied the Bible, like my, my whole life, and in an official capacity, that is what my minor is in college, even though that was like 20 years ago. Um, and so I do have some knowledge base and scholarship behind me, but it has its limits. So if I ever say something and then someone that is far more credentialed than me, say if I say something and then um, that that scholar that we love, Dan, uh, if he says something that negates what I like an idea that I have said, obviously take his word for it. <laughs> Don't take mine. Um, I am not trying to, there's no like agenda here. This is just literally as much cold, like hard facts uh, and interesting trivia about the Bible. Um, but if anything wavers and then you hear, you know, uh, a scholar or even a pastor say something that might negate it, Please do not feel the need to take my word for it. And I hope that you are encouraged to look it up um, from multiple sources yourself and, and get the best information you can too. I just hope to lay the groundwork a, a little bit with it. So um, <laughs> what inspired this talk is uh, I have had a few conversations recently with different friends um, and the questions they were asking me, I was surprised a little bit that it 
that they didn't know um, some of the stuff they were asking me. And I don't mean that in a belittling way. What I mean is I, it was clear to me that I lost touch with what was common knowledge about the Bible and what wasn't. And I'm reminded of a joke from the show 30 rock where the comedian um, Tracy Morgan, he plays a character named Tracy Jordan and it's four seasons into the show and he's rich beyond belief. And um, he kind of lost sight that he's not a struggling comedian anymore. And they make a joke about how his stand-up act is starting to um, – it doesn't hold up anymore because he's lost touch with the common man and then does a cutaway of his comedy. And <laughs> and he's up there and he's like, do you guys ever notice how at Saint, in St. Saint Bart's people eat their lobster like this? You know, like so he's talking about like the richest place and the richest food and he's doing it at a stand-up. Uh, like stand-up comedy seller in New York City. And so it just shows how out of touch he is, but he doesn't realize it. And um, that's kind of how I started to feel with the Bible of like, oh, I I think I lost sight of what people know uh, as a default level because I've been studying it for so long that everything like kind of blurred together of who knows what. And so I feel like I'm at these talks giving talks about the Bible. And I'm just saying, you know, do you ever notice how in sports people read the scripture like this? And, and so um, I was like, all right, let's dive into the Bible and like kind of lay a good foundation that people might be able to um, understand the talks even better. And there's a great um, joke in the show community in which um, one of the characters reads the new Testament for the first time. And he says, uh, you know, being raised on TV, I always just assumed that Jesus walked on water and told people not to get abortions, but he's so much more than that. And so I like that joke too, because it just shows the overall cultural understanding of the Bible has been so tainted. And so let's, um, we're going to dive into that a bit. And I think you'll it's interesting to me because the Bible is my favorite. So I hope it's interesting to uh, everyone else. So a lot of times when the, um, when people think about the Bible, you know, say like um, my wife, her only outside of me, when she sees the Bible in culture, it's always used as like Leviticus, whatever you're going to hell. Like, and it's always threats and judgment and weaponized. And, um, but that's not what all, you know, it's, um, look at, it's thick. This, this copy I have is over 1100 pages. And so to think that it only is rules of who's going to hell and who's not, um, is it's crazy. And so it's like my life goal to kind of, um, de-weaponize the Bible the best I can and to show it in its most true light and for what it is. And then people at least could take that knowledge and build off of it themselves. And so if, even if we just get rid of the stigma, then, Hey, we're, we're ready to rock and roll because the, um, the Bible is closer to like store story wise. It's closer to like game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings than it is to, you know, God says you're going to hell. Um, because there, 
their stories. When I say Game of Thrones, like if I was to tell you of a story of a a powerful king and one of his sons sexually assaults one of his daughters and he does nothing about it. So one of his other sons starts a civil war because of the, the uh, horrors that were done to his sister. That sounds like game of Thrones. That doesn't sound like the Bible, but that's the Bible. That's um, King David and his son Absalom. That's why they go to war because of this attack on his sister that David did nothing about. And, you know, you have, um, when I was a kid, I liked the violent stories because, you know, I liked rated R movies. I still do. Um, but the, you know, so this book of judges, which we'll uh, talk about a little bit that has stories that will turn your hair white. There's, there's a woman in it that takes a tent peg and drives it through someone's skull. <laughs> and, you know, there's, um, a um yeah there's a, a another judge who stabs a big fat king while he's on the toilet and he pushes the dagger all the way into the guy's stomach so he can't pull it out like these are things that people don't think of when they think of the bible and um so but the older i get the more i like the grace and love aspects of it. But I was just using that as an example to say like, this is not your, your typical, what people think of with the, with the Bible. And um, so what is the Bible? What is this right here? Um, It's really, it is a library of collected history. That's what it is at its core. The Bible is made up of 66 different individual books And those books make up the two parts of this Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the Jewish scriptures. Um, It contains the Torah, which um, I don't want to speak too much about the Jewish tradition um, because I am not well versed in it. But the Torah is, you know, the five five books that Moses wrote. Those are the books of the law. Um, And it contains the... um, all the the Jewish scriptures and then the new and that makes up 39 of the 66 books are uh, in the old Testament. It starts with the book of Genesis and it ends with the book of Malachi. Um, And then the second part of the Bible is the new Testament. And that is um, the four gospels and the rest of it is mostly letters written by different apostles and disciples. Um, And that makes up 27 of the 66 books in the Bible. And um, so the New Testament covers the birth of Jesus through his death, through the establishment of the church and, um, and then to the book of revelations, but refer to last week's talk, to see where that stands, you know, with, uh, within the Bible and the, the scholarly community. Um, and so before we dive even deeper, this might be very rudimentary, rudimentary, but I do want to cover it. So there's 66 books in the Bible. Um, and each book is broken into, chapters and verses. And, um, 
So say, you know, um, since I love wrestling and we'll, we'll combine wrestling and the Bible and we'll do John 316 um, because my Bible doesn't contain Austin 316. So I don't know who to, I'm going to have to talk to Zon, Zonifin about that. But um, so what that is saying, if I could show it to the camera, I don't know if it will come out, um, if it'll focus. No, focus. So um, we have the book of John. Man, I wish I could autofocus. Sorry. But you'll see that the book of John, chapter three, and then each chapter is broken into individual verses. And that's just for indexing. So when someone has a scripture that they're referencing, you are able to find it in your Bible. So you'd be like, all right, so that's the book of John. It's the third chapter in that book. And it's the 16th verse of that chapter. And now the next chapter starts again with verse one. So, you know, um, and so that's just how it goes. And then um, you'll see with, with the Bibles, you'll have a reference up here in this corner. And in this corner, um, the one on the left is letting you know the very first chapter and verse of that page. And this is letting you know the, the very last chapter and verse of this of the spread. So um, I would know if I'm looking for John chapter five, um, this only this spread that I have open only goes up to John 422. So it's just a different way of indexing. Sorry if that was super uh, rudimentary for for people, but I do think that is an important feature of the Bible. And um, anybody, if you are in church or if you're younger and you're still going to um, it's like Bible, you know, um, like some sort of Sunday school or Bible study. And they say, we used to do Bible drills when I was a kid and be like open to, you know, the book of Joshua, you know, chapter three. And so that's how you would, you know, I would know the general idea of where it is. And then I'd be like, open up. So right here, Joshua 11. So I'm like, all right, so it's before this. And so that's just kind of how, um, that's broken up. Now, all of the writings in the Bible are broken into roughly seven categories. Um, I say roughly because other people might break it down even further, but overall, there are seven categories of the different types of writing contained in the Bible. And so um, it's history, law, wisdom, poetry, prophecy, gospel gospels and epistles and epistles are just uh letters it's a probably the greek word for letter or or something like that um so out of those seven the new testament is mostly comprised of gospels and epistles uh there is some history in it but and revelation could be seen as a book of prophecy, depending on your denomination and study. But overall, the New Testament is just gospels and letters. Um, and so we'll go into a little bit of that. Um, now, the bulk of the Old Testament is made up of history and prophecy. Because um, something like 29 out of the 39 books um, are either history or prophecy. Um, to my knowledge, um, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because everyone always quotes the law 
aspect of the Bible when they are um, like weaponizing it. And out of those seven um, categories and out of the 66 books in the Bible, like five books are the law. And so it's, it kind of shows an agenda there also. Um, and now the books, the history aspect of the Bible is pretty self-explanatory. It's the history of Israel from escaping captivity, uh, in Egypt. Um, that goes from like the Exodus from, of the Jewish people from, uh, Egypt, um, them getting into the promised land and then they, um, it's sort of like they have, there's, see, this is where it gets a little confusing and we have to backtrack, but it'll work. This will be, oh, this is so great. Cause it helps uh, bring Steve back into the conversation. So, um, people that are not familiar with the story of Joseph from, uh, the book of Genesis, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, you know, which is a, it's a, a musical. And what happens is um, Jacob has 12 sons and each of those sons turns into a tribe um, of Israel. And so they, they get to the promised land and then those 12 tribes all have, um, like a, a leader, they all have like, uh, and those are the judges that we'll discuss the book of judges. And, um, and so I'm sorry, the history is the Exodus leaving Egypt, getting to the promised land, appointing these judges. And then all then under um, Saul and King Saul and King David, all of those 12 get unified into one like monarchy. That's part of the history. And then that monarchy divides into north and south um and then um it the history version kind of ends with um like the babylonian captivity of um the jewish people and so the the history aspect of the bible spans over 1500 years and the history uh aspect is where you get like the very interesting stories um, you get stories of, of different wars, like different wars, different conflicts. Um, some really, uh, it's so funny. some stuff are, is so intense that like, I even feel uncomfortable talking about it, but this discussion is about the Bible. So it's weird. That's like how some of the content is, um, the most wild story that I could tell is, um, when they, um, they were going to attack, I believe it was uh, the Philistines and they had to bring back proof of that. They um, killed all these Philistines. And the only way you could bring back proof is just say, if you were to take a scalp or an ear, that doesn't, that doesn't show you that where they're from. So they had to collect the foreskins because the Jewish people would not have had them due to the law. And so it's just like, they bring back like just bags of dead people's foreskins to show like, that's how great, like, see what I'm saying when I'm saying like game of Thrones level stuff, like wild. Right. And um, 
so <laughs> and um now the so we talked about history now the law writings in the bible are attributed to moses um i believe even though he only wrote five books i don't think anybody has written more in the bible than moses did um moses i don't know when he wrote this stuff i have a th weird theory um that i came up lit literally as i was writing this talk and it was it made me be like oh i wonder so moses was not allowed into the promised land. It's the the complete literalization of the, it's the journey, not the destination. You know, for 40 years, he was walking in circles in the desert to kill off the, the oldest generation uh, of people. And so he followed everything to the T, except for like one, one thing. And I'm sure there's more to it, but we, he's seen... Moses didn't see the face of God. He basically, God was so holy that all Moses was allowed to see was the dust that God kicked up in his path as he walked away. And that was so holy that um, Moses had to cover himself with a veil because his he was like glowing, like uh, radiation type glowing just from that. And it scared people. So he was that close to God and um, God told him to, speak to a rock to yield water, but Moses struck the rock based on something else that he's done previously to elicit water from it. And from doing that, he was not allowed into the promised land. Um, so I'm wondering if he did his writing uh, when he was just kind of sitting outside of the promised land, which is very interesting to think about. Um, but also a lot of this stuff we have to remember would have been oral histories that were passed along until they were written down. And that's why some of the like contradictions, I don't say that sarcastically. I'm just saying like, I don't, I don't feel their contradictions because if there's an oral history that's told one way and the oral history told another way, and then they get combined into one writing, it might seem like two different stories, but it's just two different traditions that were compiled into one. And that's kind of why in the creation story seems to have two different, um, like narratives and that would become from an oral tradition of one and the oral tradition of another. And that would dictate also how other people lived their lives and viewed God. It's very interesting stuff. Um, but the law is everything that you think of the 10 commandments, all the laws that are on the hateful signs that they hold outside like Planned Parenthood or, you know, pride parades and stuff like that. All of that, the law, um, and that's very tricky to navigate because um, the people usually holding those signs are Christians. But the whole point of Jesus is that he fulfilled those laws that we're not accountable to them anymore um, because it's all through grace and, um, you know, grace and acceptance and, and Jesus. <laughs> and so that's where it gets tricky with that. Um so you have the history and you have the laws, and now we have prophecy also. Now, the um, the books of prophecy are in the Bible, and I was gonna say they're every because the the prophets are name the name of the prophet that wrote the book is the 
the name of the book also. And um, so that's where you get your like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, like those are books of the Bible and they're named after the prophets um, that wrote them or, or is attributed to writing them. And there are major and minor prophets. The quickest memory tool is the length of the person's writing determines if they're major or minor, you know, so Jeremiah would be more of a major prophet and Habakkuk would be a minor prophet. Not, not too much to say on, their prophecies and the legitimacy and importance of them more the length of the book. But obviously there is some sort of hierarchy that if you have more to say, you would maybe have a bigger role, but then two of the biggest prophets in all of the Bible, Elijah and Elisha don't have their own book at all. They're, they're crammed in the book of Kings. <laughs> and so it's very, so the, that's a general rule of thumb is that the length of the book would tell you if it's a major or minor prophet. Um, so then um, now we're going to talk about uh, the section, the type of writing that is wisdom and poetry. And um, again, it's fairly self-explanatory uh what wisdom is and what poetry is um in in the bible poetic books are not you know roses are red violets are blue um type poetry but just more symbolic language and more beautifully uh written you know that's where like the psalms are from the poetic books so that's where you get imagery like the lord is my shepherd you know um stuff that's like metaphorical and really they're pro they probably were songs that were sung and then they were like written down. Um, and so, uh, a lot of the poetic writings, it make up the book of Psalms is the, does the bulk of the lifting in the, the poetic, um, writing section. Um, and a, a general rule of thumb for Psalms is if you have your Bible, and you open it directly to the middle, you will hit Psalms or Proverbs. Like, um, I, I, like I opened it to the middle and I missed Psalms by, I think it was like two pages. So the center of your Bible will be the book of Psalms. Um, and, uh, the Psalms were written by maybe 10 different writers all wrote, um, different Psalms. And so going like King David wrote a bunch of the Psalms. His son Solomon, who we'll talk about uh, in a moment, wrote some. Even Moses wrote some. Abraham wrote some. Um, so Psalms, yeah, they're just kind of like stanzas or verses, and they're very poetic and comforting. Um, and so um, the, the next book of poetry that we're going to get into is a little bit of a weird one. So the book of Job, which chronicles basically just the faith and the struggles of a singular man named Job, um, that's full of poetic imagery. Um, the book starts with a wager in heaven between Satan and God over um, the faith and how strong Job's faith is. Um, again, this is probably just a poetic 
um, spin on it, almost like how like Homer might have wrote, wrote like uh, the Odyssey or the Iliad. Um, and what's very interesting about the book of Job is it's comprised of two different types of writing, but almost um, like bookends. And so um, the way that I heard it that made the most sense on how it is, is imagine you have a book like the Canterbury Tales or the Scarlet Pimpernel or Charles Dickens. And then the prologue and the epilogue were written by Stephen King, but they're all combined as one continuous book, you know, not broken up by like introduction by, it just reads as one continual thing. And you're like, wait, what, what is happening? And so I thought that was very interesting uh, way to look at it. Um, and I believe the last book of poetry that we'll be talking about is the song of Solomon. Um, Song of Solomon is a very romantic and very sexual book. Um, it uh, It's all told poetically, but if you read it, you're just like, ooh, ooh, is it hot in here? Am I reading Song of Solomon? So, uh, you know, it's very kind of candid, but in a poetic way um, about love and romance and sex and all this stuff. So it's it's very interesting, but the imagery is wild and a lot of it would be, kind of outside of our grasp because, you know, he might be describing a woman as a type of flower that we probably have never even seen before. Um, so it's very interesting, but Solomon, um, as this might is probably pretty common knowledge was known for his wisdom. You know, that's where we get stories of two people fighting over a baby. And so he's like, Oh, we'll just cut the baby in half. And then the person, one person was like, okay, that's fine. And then the other person's like, no, I'd rather give the child away than harm the child. And so Solomon gave, you know, the child to the one that actually cared enough to not hurt it. Um, and then, you know, the book of Proverbs is just that. It's just like all these, these sayings, like collected wisdom written down almost just as stream of consciousness. Um, some of it is kind of problematic in like a 1980s, 90s comedy way of like, you know, it's better to live on your roof than share a house with a, a nagging wife, you know, kind of that, ooh, take my wife, please, uh, type uh, aspect. So it gets a little bit troublesome in those regards, but overall the wisdom in it is fairly universal and still uh, we could use today. And one of my favorite books, the book of Ecclesiastes is basically an existential crisis that Solomon is having and um, he writes it all down. And that's bizarrely true today. A lot of the stuff that he wrote there, which is funny because in, in it, he talks about how nothing changes. Um, and so it's weird that still nothing changes and it's aspects of like that, that make me believe in the Bible more than anything else it says is that someone could write wisdom down, say how nothing has changes. There's nothing new under the sun. And then thousands of years later, nothing's changed and there's nothing new under the sun. And so it's like, that's very, very impressive. Um, um, there are a few occasions in which certain books, um, seem repetitive and some stories appear in later books 
<clears throat> then uh and then earlier books like there's one story the story of Sodom and Gomorrah the core of that story that removes like it's just the things that happen within that story apart from the the cities just of the the crowd wanting to attack somebody and uh, a man like sacrificing his daughter to protect the stranger that happens in Genesis and in, I believe it's the book of judges, but I'm, um, I should have checked that. But so there are some stories that kind of repeat, but there are also books of the Bible that kind of seem repetitive. For example, the book of first and second Kings and the book of first and second Chronicles, they are very similar, almost to the extent of it's like, did I, didn't I read this already? Is this like a misprint? But really, it is just overlapping storylines, but ha that have different emphasis on on each other. Um, and so, on that note, we're going to dive into the New Testament because that factor uh, that plays a factor in the in the New Testament. And so the New Testament starts with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this was a talking point that really started me on um, the idea of like, oh, we should probably discuss the Bible um, in this kind of detailed way. Because no joke, in the span of maybe a month and a half, I talked to five people where the topic of the gospel came up all from all different reasons. One was from a talk. One was just someone asking a question. One was from a jeopardy answer. And, and the biggest takeaway that uh, I got away, I got from it is that, so we have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now those gospels tell the same story from start to end. They all individually recount Jesus's life from birth to death and resurrection. A lot of people that I encountered thought that they were four parts to Jesus's life, kind of like Rocky one, two, three, and four, you know, one's just a continuation of the, you know, like Matthew is part one of him as a child or his birth, you know, Matthew, then Mark is him as a child, then Luke as an adult. And, but no, each one tells the whole complete story from start to finish. And um, so in, it's like, I joke with, I joked with my friend that it, the gospels are more like a Spider-Man or a Batman movie. Cause you know how every time there's a Batman movie, you have to see him as a kid and his parents die. And that's how he turns into Batman or Spider-Man has to watch his uncle die and he turns into Spider-Man. And so no matter how many Spider-Man movies you get or Batman movies you get, that's a key thing that they always bring up. And it's so each gospel is kind of like a reboot of, of that story. Um, but they all have different emphases, emphases, and that is um, what, where it really kind of gets uh, very interesting again to me. <laughs> um, so the book of Matthew seems to have been written um, for the Jewish Christians at the time as a way to bridge the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and oftentimes, the book of Matthew, its main focus is in how Jesus 
fulfilled the prophecies uh, predicted in the prophetic books of the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. So Matthew, his focus was like, look at all these prophecies that he fulfilled. Look at him. He is who the Old Testament was talking about. So that's his emphasis. Um, and uh, the if you look in your Bible, you know, we call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But often it is the gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark. Um, because unlike the letters that were written later on, these gospels were not signed. So a lot of scholarship had to go into how it was written. Was it written in Greek? What vernacular were they using and um, stuff? So, um, but tradition, um, say for like, tradition is that the people who it's named after wrote it in some way. And we'll get into that a little bit. So now the book of Mark, again, it tells the same story from start to finish. Um, Mark is probably the earliest gospel that we have. And um, so Mark tells a more fast paced story and it has more vivid imagery. Like it will, you know, it talks about a man in a cave cutting himself with rocks, like howling, you know, like that kind of visceral detail. And, um, but it's big emphasis is on Jesus being a man of action, Jesus, boom, he, he's working, he's doing his thing. He's, um, he's not, you know, tiptoeing around. He's a man of action. And that was Mark's biggest takeaway. And what they are thinking with Mark is that Mark was probably Peter's personal interpreter for when Peter was going around, um, which we'll talk about in a later book, um, going around preaching and setting up gospels. He probably had an interpreter that maybe spoke Greek or Aramaic or whatever language he did not speak. And um, then Mark probably wrote the accounts of the gospel of Peter's version of the gospel uh, after Peter died. And that's why it is told from kind of a um, eyewitness account because Peter was there. And so if Peter's telling Mark this stuff, and Mark is writing Peter's version. It has that eyewitness account to it. And then, um, so then we get to the gospel according to Luke. And this is the, the longest gospel. And it's like the most literary. Um, and it is sort of based on um, interview. Like the structure of it is no different than the other one. So it's not, you know, they didn't re reformat it or anything, but just, Overall, it seems to be based on um, maybe through talking to people and eyewitnesses uh, that interacted with Jesus, um, people who came into personal contact with Jesus. Luke gathered that information and um, wrote it down. So it's kind of like a collection of interviews, but it's not structured like an interview. I just want to be clear about that. It's structured like a story, but that's kind of where the content probably came from. And um, the interesting about Luke is they uh, history kind of figured out that Luke was probably written by a doctor. And that's how they found out that it was Luke, because the, the writer of Luke pays very careful attention and descriptions to people's illnesses 
And so they were like, oh, like a doctor probably would do that. And then Paul had a like personal physician named Luke, and that's who they attribute um, that to. And but since from a like a doctor's standpoint and interviewing people who in who came in contact with Jesus, the major em emphasis is on Jesus's compassion and his humanity, you know, and that's that's the the emphasis that you would get from people if Jesus healed them or interacted with them. And um, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic gospels because they tell the same story with just different emphases, just as if four of us, I, you know, I was saying earlier that I, for my 40th birthday, I went to see wrestling at Madison square garden. Now, if you, had four people out of that crowd write down the, their takeaways from wrestling. The basics would all be the same, but the different details that stood out to me versus stood out to you versus stood out to my wife, there would be differences, but everything is the same from the same event. And that's kind of the idea that we get from the synoptic gospels. Now, the Gospel of John is a little bit off the beaten path, and it's more spiritual, and um, it focuses a lot on the spiritual aspects of Jesus and Jesus being the Son of God. Um, you know, it was probably the last one, the last Gospel written, so it might have kind of stood on the shoulders of the other ones. Um, but, you know, this it has themes that other ones don't like it will talk about, you know, light and dark, um, life and death, truth and lies, um, love and hate. Like, so more, more concepts along with telling the story. And so that's why it's not seen as part, like it's one of the four gospels, but it's not in that like synaptic brotherhood with Matthew, Mark and Luke. Um, so they all tell the same, the whole story individually with different at, like um, emphasis. So that's what makes them engaging. But at first glance, if you were to read them all back to back, it would just be the, feel like you were reading the same story four times in a row. Um, so then we get into what I would consider, and I don't know if it's officially considered this, but a history writing out of the, the categories, a history writing in the new Testament. And that's the book of acts. I'm sorry. It's, it's very awkward to just say it's the acts of the apostle, right? So it's what they did. And the, the reason why I call it like history is because it's their, their journeys going out and setting up different churches and interacting with people and doing miracles and all the various acts that they did. And so the way I describe it to people is, you know, in Lord of the Rings, there's the Fellowship of the Ring. And then at the end of the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship's all broken up. And Sam and Frodo go one way, Merry and Pippin go another way. And then Legolas, Aragorn, Aragorn and um, Gimli all go another way. And the other movies are about their different paths. That's kind of what the Book of Acts is like. Um and then the uh, then the letters are from the apostles 
that set up the churches in Acts, and it's kind of their correspondence back and forth with them. And um, and so the the thing to remember about the letters that um, are written in the Bible is, to my knowledge, the people writing the letters did not know they were writing the Bible. They did not know they were writing scripture. They were just literally corresponding with churches that they set up to make sure that they were um, doing okay. And the issue with that is when we forget that the Bible is not written as one unified voice, there's, there's like 40 different, like, authors that comprise the Bible, which is a very important. Some um, like mainline denominations feel that all of the writers were inspired by God who basically just told them what to write. And so that thus gives them the feeling of a unified voice. I'm not going to yes or no that. Um, the important thing about the Bible is it's how it helps an individual. That's why I hate when it gets weaponized because this is just to help me, right? This is this is my mix CD that I made of all wisdom and stuff that helps me. You know, like when you, or a playlist, I just aided myself, right? I said I turned 40. So kids, if you're listening, a mix CD is, uh, no. Um, so now it's, we'll say like a playlist on Spotify or something. Say you're like, oh, I want to work out. I want a workout playlist. So you're going to pick those, um, the music that drives you. And it has that certain thing that you want. Um, and that's kind of just like the way I do the Bible. Like say when I go running, which I haven't done in a while, <laughs> I'm not trying to make it sound like I do, but when I used to run a lot, I would listen to classical music. And people were like, what? Like, I need like driving, pumping music. But the problem is with me, that music makes me kind of just, I run to the rhythm of the thing and I can't, I'm not as relaxed. And for me, if you're running any sort of distance, you need to be relaxed. And so classical music helps me be relaxed. And um, and so it worked out better for me. And so that's why it's it's not one size fits all with the Bible. You know, there, there are things in here that are my playlist, you know, and then there are things are here that are going to be Charles's playlist and Ray's playlist and Chris's playlist. Like, and so that's why I really have a pet peeve of people using the Bible and saying, you need to feel this way about this scripture. And it's like, no, it's religion. I think in the nutshell, like the more I studied the Bible, the less I understand religion, because it just seems to be a personal individual path and journey that we follow to better our lives and the lives of people around us. So I don't see the weaponizing like instructions in it. I grew up in the church and went to a Christian college. So I have been around that aspect of it. And probably when I was younger, definitely felt that way. And then just as Paul writes, you know, I used to think as a child and spoke as a child, then I grew up and now I do, you know, I put away that stuff. And that's my, my personal journey with the Bible. Um, so it's not one unified voice. And so the problem with say taking Paul's letter to the Corinthians and then applying it to someone you don't like 
in 2023 because of their political beliefs is that whereas the letters they wrote have universal wisdom in them, the truth is they were written for a specific person or people at a specific time in a specific setting. That doesn't mean we should throw them all out, but that is just something to keep in mind. You know, if um, my wife was to, you know, say, hey, this person at work is really giving me a hard time and she works in HR for a bank and we come up with a plan for for her to deal with this problematic coworker. Now, if I have a friend that works at a movie theater and they're having a problem with their boss, the same advice that me and my wife came up with does not work for that situation because the situation is completely different. And, um, you know, you might be able to boil down the advice to a nugget that is universal, but the specifics are very specific. And so that's what we um, need to remember about the letters in the, in the Bible. And, you know, um, first and second Corinthians, uh, Romans, uh, Galatians, they're all the recipients of the letters. Like, so Paul is writing to the church he set up in Corinth and helping them with their specific issues. And no one is better to help them than he is because of him setting it up. You know, Paul had things to say about the, like to the, the people of Rome. So he wrote to, to them. And so that's, it doesn't like change a lot, but it's something that's very important to remember um, that there are very specific things um, involved in those letters. Now there are other letters that go deeper and, you know, you've heard Jay talk about he, that some scholars see that some of the letters might be forgeries. I don't know en- enough about that to talk on it. So that's why I'm just talking about the letters as a whole. And I will not be touching the book of revelations because long before Jay talked about it, I couldn't stand it myself. Um, mostly because it seems like a fever dream that no one knows what it means, but everyone's saying this is exactly what it means. Um, so I just had no, if I didn't feel weird about it, I would have cut it out of my Bible, but now I just don't ever open it. Um, so in, in starting to wrap this up, there are, um, you know, some people might get a little, like I said, uncomfortable about the, um, that it's not one unified voice, that it comes from oral traditions, written traditions. There's history, prophecy, law, poetry, like all of these things comprise this one library. Um, But to me, that's actually what gives it its strength. Um, Because when I study it, I'll see these connections from generations and thousands of years apart that reference each other and it's not in the time of google and a time that we can look this stuff up so you're like oh this is there's got to be something to this you know for example um there's a thing in uh in exodus i believe it is where um there are people uh i believe they're they are poisoned or they were bitten by a snake i have to i have to refresh it but what i'm saying is and you'll see the symbol on a hospital too is Moses put like a snake on like a a cross and lifted it up and the, you know, then people were healed of their poison. And then all of a sudden you have Jesus all these thousands of years later 
lifted up on a cross, you know, to, to save people. And that's like a, that's a very interesting connection. If you remember how far apart these events happen, um, uh, we see it again with, um, one of my favorite connections is so Moses gets to the promised land, but he's not allowed in. So he sends in two spies. He sends in Joshua and he sends in Caleb. And then when Moses dies after the books of Moses, so there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five books of the law, five books of Moses. The next book is the book of Joshua. And now Joshua starts with Moses is dead. I, I can look to see um, if that's the exact quote. Um, but let's let's just give me a second. See, now I'm using all my, my indexing. Um, um, so my translation says, After Moses, the servant of the Lord died, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, uh, Moses's assistant. That's what it's, and then God says, my servant Moses is dead. Now, um, so we have Moses is dead and Joshua takes the lead from there. Now, generations later, Jesus is born and Jesus's name in Hebrew is Joshua. And now Joshua, uh, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So the fact that he fulfills the laws of Moses and then way, you know, 1500 years earlier or so when Moses died, Joshua took over, like the little connections like that. I'm just like, what? Like, you know, if it was more modern day, maybe I wouldn't be so blown away because of like, oh, they just saw it on Wikipedia and they, they made that connection. Um, you know, there's, um, you know, there's references to just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish, Jesus will be in the belly of the earth. Like all these like um, tie-ins. I think there's a lot of tie-ins with Peter and Jonah and, um, you know, where uh, like people, there's um, studies that link Elisha with an SH to Jesus um, and the first time you meet Elisha, he's breaking up a yoke that used to, you know, uh, he used to use on his ox, um, and he's breaking it up and he uses it as firewood, firewood, and that's basically what Jesus does with the law. So all these little connections to me give it strength, like it has more strength to me because it's forty different voices that make this rather than one. Um, as impressive as say, you know. Uh, Lord of the Rings is all coming from one mind. Um, it's more impressive to me that 40 different people spanning, you know, thousands of years come up with stuff and it's all intertwined, like to the minute stuff. Like this, the stories that I use as an example, right then before they're passing fleeting stories. They're not, you know, you know, the book of Joshua isn't all about that. Joshua has battles and all these different things, you know, the battle of Jericho where the walls come tumbling down, like all that's in Joshua. So that's just two verses at the start of Joshua. So it's not like these big, huge overarching things that people can reference. It's like these minute things and it's just really cool stuff. Um, 
So, um, and there are different councils that kind of finalize the canon of the Bible, but we have to remember that they just fine tuned it through tradition. It, all the extracurricular writing kind of phased itself out, you know, say like, um, the book of Moses, like the five books of Moses, Moses had the authority. So when he wrote it, it was accepted at the time. And then when it was passed on, it was like, no, Moses wrote it. And like, so that's how they stayed around. But then if they ever discovered a writing, because during the time of the Bible taking place, there were like scriptures written and, you know, they kind of wean themselves out based off of their cu current knowledge. Um, and then, um, so they kind of had the formation of a Bible and those councils, like the council of hippo and the, you know, the Nicene council and stuff council. Uh, uh, I forget some of the other names. They just kind of like refined it and maybe slapped it on. This is the Christian version of the Bible. Um, but to get there, it's not like they had to dig up every single thing and figure out what works. Um, and they had their various criteria, you know, like say, um, why Jay thinks that some of the, the forgeries in the Bible are attributed to Paul's because they're using words and vernacular that Paul did not use. They're using, for lack of a better word, they're using slang that wasn't around at during Paul's time. And so things like that. Um, and Paul also lets people know when he switches from dictating to writing because his eyes, I don't think were very good which is probably why he had Luke as a, his, a physician. Um, but it'll even say, as you could see, because of my bad eyesight, my writing is bigger than it was before. That's because I am writing with my own hand. You know, there's different things that people all throughout the generations keeping the scriptures safe would wean out all these other stuff that they did not deem were um, real deal or important enough for like a canon and then the different councils just kind of solidified that and um so to kind of wrap this up i'm like to me the bible like i said it's written in all those different um aspects and um it even though it's not one unified voice it's still true to me, even if it's not literal, if there's no literal fire raining down from heaven from Elijah, and if there's no literal fish that swallows Jonah and then spits him out again, if there's no flood that wiped out the earth, like if that stuff's not literal, it still is true to me because truth and literally happening are not the same thing. Um, so I'll end on a story, uh, of my dad. So my dad, um, he ran five marathons in his life. Um, he was a very healthy athletic person. Then he got very sick. And so the majority of his life after having been able to do that, he was just basically almost like confined to a chair, not a wheelchair, but he just could not get around. He couldn't work. It was very hard for hard for him, but he tells me the story of him before he got sick, wanting to run a marathon or thinking of it, but that it's a heavy task to take on to run a marathon. And then he saw in theaters, the movie Rocky. And as cliche as it is, it's cliche now, but at the time it was even more inspiring than it is now. 
And so he saw this slump, like this schlumpy underdog slob that no one had any faith in. And he goes the distance, right? And the music's playing and, um, and it really set him on fire. And that's the movie that got him to run his first marathon. And now Rocky, the writing of Rocky might've been inspired by what's his name? Chuck Weber, Muhammad Ali, all these different people, but it's not their literal story. It's just Rocky is an aspect of him. Apollo Creed's an aspect of him, you know, um, but it's not a biography. It's not a literal story, but even though it's not a literal documentary or anything, it's, it was true enough that it inspired my dad as if Rocky was a real documentary and a real person. And so that's kind of the, the vibe I get with the Bible. And that's why you'll hear me say like, I don't care if it's literal or not, because to me that doesn't affect its truth at all. And um, so that will just, I'll just leave it kind of on that note that, you know, if you are having doubts or uh, you're uncomfortable with some of the stuff that maybe we talked about, true and literal don't have to be the same thing. You could find out that all of these grand stories are metaphorical, just like the movie Rocky is metaphorical. And it's just as true and just as inspiring as if it really happened. Um, so just remember that. And uh, we'll we'll end it there on that note. And I hope that this was uh, a interesting talk and it wasn't too um that it was enlightening and i wasn't just reiterating stuff that people already knew so um i'll hang out for maybe a few minutes and then um i'm gonna go i will probably personally be maybe i'll put on a musical in memory of steve or at least a soundtrack and just kind of reflect on him a, a little bit so um but thank you guys so much for tuning in um, this, it was, it was good. It was a rough morning when I found out. So having this talk with you guys definitely did help me too. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for tuning in. And, um, if you have any questions in the next minute or so, or, and I can answer them, I will, if not, you could, you know, shoot me a text on, um, Instagram or something. Um, if I don't know an answer, I am very upfront with that. And then I will let you know the research I do and what I find because um, I always have, I hate when people try to pretend that they know stuff that they don't. So I never want to do that. So um, yeah. So, um, and hopefully in future talks, as we discuss the Bible, it's a little bit more of a foundation for everyone to kind of get their footing um, to know what we're talking about and how to follow along. So um, thank you, everyone. And we will end it here. And um, we will see you out in the real world. And we will meet again here next Sunday. So everyone have a great Sunday. Um, and I will talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. 
To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.